I want to talk about something that um, is relevant to our current season um, in terms of evangelism, but also in terms of people disappearing to different places. Um, and I want to talk about go into all the world. Um, before Jesus left earth, he had a final message that he gave to his disciples. We find it in Matthew 28. And um, we can read that together. Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. Um, and it says, uh, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And this idea of going into all the world. Um, I, I got saved when I was very young. My parents were already saved when I was born. So I grew up in church. And um, the kind of bedtime stories we had, although we did have things like, you know, Beatrix Passer and Br'er Rabbit and all that stuff, we also had stories about guys like David Livingston, Eric Liddell, um, and these kind of guys. And I remember being taught these stories as a child, that these were the heroes that we should look up to. And we, we live in, a, in, a, in an age at the moment where our heroes all wear spandex and masks and capes and they're all churned out endlessly by Marvel and DC and these other mega houses of entertainment and it's it's quite possible that even as grown-ups we're sucked into that and we think that the people in these movies are actually heroes because they save the world every time And yet it's all just, it's just make-believe. And yet there are people who genuinely give their lives to save lives. There are actual people who do that and literally give themselves. And without superpowers and without a Batmobile or without, you know, like sort of web shooters, they go into all the world and they preach the gospel to every nation, and they make disciples. And so one of the, the people I was so aware of growing up, and um, when Asher was three, I had the opportunity to go into Zambia, and it was amazing to go to a, a town called Livingstone, because David Livingstone had been like a childhood hero of mine, and um, he was someone I grew up aware of. I didn't know much about him. When I was a little older, I wrote, uh, read a whole biography of him, And um, it was fascinating. But he was a a missionary who went from my home country into Africa before the borders that we have today were where they are. I mean, a lot of the map hadn't been drawn yet in the sense of like sort of Western geography that we get taught in schools. Um, But he gave his life for opening up Southern Africa to the gospel. And so I learned about this man, David Livingston. He's this guy. And when we visited Zambia, I was able to go to the museum there in Livingston. And there's his Bible. And there's his coat with the bite mark still in the sleeve where the lion got him and stuff like that. I mean, it's just fascinating. Um, he gave his life to this. He Literally, he died in Africa. And um, he, he, in that whole time that he poured out his life, he, he led one person to Jesus. You think, you're... But the guy he led to Jesus was a man called um, 
Chief Seychelles, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, of the Quena people of Botswana. And this chief, it's been said now, guys have looked into it, he actually did more to propagate the Christian gospel in southern Africa during that 19th century period than all of the, or any of the European missionaries who came in. So this one man who got saved through the life of David Livingston, he brought the gospel to so many of his own people and then tribes beyond his tribe. And so although David himself didn't see masses of salvations, the impact he had on Africa is still, is still there today. And that's amazing. Um, another guy, we, even when I was quite young, we watched this movie, Chariots of Fire. And some of you might have seen it. If you haven't seen it, I encourage you to see it, especially if your kids are into sport. Um, there was this guy, Eric Little. He was born in China to, um, to missionary parents. His parents were part of the Christian uh, the Chinese Inland Mission that had been set up um, previously. And so he, he was sent home to England, home, <laughs> to England, to boarding school. Didn't see his parents for 11 years. And you'd think they'd mess a kid up, but, you know, life was different back then. You just got on with it. He did well. He did well at school, but he also did well with the Lord. So he stayed faithful to the Lord. He did well in his studies. He became an Olympic sprinter, represented England in the Olympics um, in 1924. What happened was he was meant to go and run the 100 and the, and the four times 100 relay because 100 meters was his race. I mean, he was just breaking records in the 100 meter. He was doing really well. Then he found out that the heats for the 100 meter at the Olympics, 1924, were going to be run on a Sunday. And he said, well, I'm a Christian. I go to church on Sunday. So I'm not going to be running heats while I'm meant to be going to church. So he pulled out of the 100 meter, retrained... Entered for the 200 and the 400 meter. In the 400 meter, he set a new world record at the 1924 Olympics. Won the gold, then gave up that career and went back to China and became a missionary. And um, he served the Lord there till he died in a Japanese imprison camp um, during the Second World War. And, and you think, this guy... Now th- these are the people I sort of grew up seeing as heroes, and I'm grateful for that because, um, you know... That was an education that led me to being willing to go myself. For those who can't tell from my speech impediment, I wasn't born here. Um, I was born in a little town called Horsham, uh, which is just south of London in the UK, you know, where they talk like what the Queen used to, you know. Um, And, um, what? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And... um, These were were the people that I I thought about when God was challenging me to move to somewhere else, go somewhere new, serve God somewhere different. But it wasn't just old heroes. It wasn't just heroes of faith that had gone before us. There was people alive when I was young, growing up, that we also used to pray for because they they were going into all the world. I remember two names in particular, and they're very different people, but two names in particular. The one was Reinhard Bonnke. And the other was Joyce Huckett. Now, you might have heard of Reinhard Bonnke. You probably haven't heard of Joyce Huckett. Okay, so Reinhard Bonnke, he was a German missionary. He started in uh, Lesotho, but he actually started then. That was very unsuccessful. He was very much a failure when it came to missions work until he started doing campaign evangelism. 
And then he started working through Africa and just having um, crusades, and he would lead thousands of people to the Lord. In fact, it's, it's believed that in his ministry, 79 million people were converted to Christianity, which is quite a lot of people, I mean, if you think about it. Um, <laughs> in the year 2000, he stood on stage in Africa in front of, in one time, in front of an audience of 6 million people and preached the gospel. Do you think, this dude, you're... I didn't actually have um, posters of sports heroes and film stars on my wall when I was growing up, but I did have this poster that had come in a magazine of one of the crusades that he'd done in Africa with like millions of people. As far as you could see, there was just faces. It was just the wildest thing, and there he is preaching the gospel. And um, you think, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a hero. That's someone who gives their life. He's given his life to something that actually matters, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, like all of us here, we can get the best jobs and go to hell smart and rich. You know, your best education, best job, you can go to hell smart and rich. You can live in the nicest house and have the best food and go to hell comfortable and fat. (laughs) Or you can receive the gospel. And whether you're rich or poor, whether you're smart or not as smart, whether you're well-employed or unemployed, if you have the gospel, you don't go to hell. Your eternity with Jesus is secure. And this is the one thing that matters in life. It's the one thing, the one choice you make that really, really matters. Every other choice is important. This is literally the most important thing. Will you serve Jesus? Will you give your life to him? And will you then serve him with your life? Now, not everyone's going to be Reinhard Bonker. I mentioned another name, Joyce Huckett. Joyce Huckett was a lady, she'd sometimes come to our church with a slideshow. Back in those days, you know, they'd have a projection, they'd put those little square transparencies in, and they'd show pictures of the jungle in Papua New Guinea, and we'd go, ooh. And then we'd pray for her, and we'd raise money for her. Joyce Huckett, she worked with a team of five people into an area of Papua New Guinea. Um, No one's written books about her. No one's made a movie about her, but she was involved in the writing of just one book, as far as I'm aware, and that was the New Testament in the Yamano language, which is the language of the East Sepik province of Papua New Guinea. There are 2,000 people in the world who speak that language, just 2,000. She gave her whole life to this project. She lived in the jungle. She ended up getting married to another translator who also lived in the jungle, uh, they had their family there. They, lived there. they gave their life to that project so that 2,000 people could have the Bible in their own language. These were the heroes I grew up hearing about and, and knowing and understanding. And, and so it was quite normal when God asked me to go somewhere else. I was like, sure. I mean, that's what people do, isn't it? That's, that's like normal. It's normal that if God says go, you would go. At least it is normal if those are the heroes you've been looking up to. So whether it's a stage with six million people in front of you, or whether it's a jungle working to translate a book that only 2,000 people could even read, whatever you do, and Colossians tells us this, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ.
You know, when, when God asks us to do something, it doesn't have to be something impressive. Um, I'm, I'm sure, you know, some of us probably couldn't handle doing something impressive. You know, because, you know, pride would creep in and we'd just get a big head and all of that. And some of us don't need any help in that direction. And so the Lord deliberately gives us small tasks. And that's okay. Because whatever we do, we do it as unto the Lord. He's the one who sees. He's the one who gives the inheritance. He's the one who passes on more. And whatever you're doing, if one person gets saved... It was worth it. Andrew's always saying that. If one person gets saved, when we send out guys to do a church plant, if one person gets saved, it will all be worth it. All the finances, all the prayer, all of the equipment you have to purchase to set up a venue and all of that stuff. If one person gets saved, it's absolutely worth it. And that is totally true. In Luke 15, verse 7, it says, And just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. In other words, Words, there's this moment in heaven anytime someone says yeah I want to follow Jesus there's this moment where all of heaven rejoices and the party in that moment is the best party heaven ever has there's more rejoicing in that moment it's the best party heaven ever has and so if that's what we're looking towards not looking towards what people see and applaud but looking toward what God sees and rejoices over then we'll be people who go into all the world and make disciples. If you just go into the world, that's a nice holiday. But if you go into the world and make disciples, that's the Great Commission. That's what Jesus asked us to do. Our children need to know that heroes don't all wear capes. And most of them avoid that. Real heroes, you know. Like during the pandemic, there was a lot of posts going around like real heroes don't wear capes. And there's all pictures of doctors and nurses. And that's great because doctors and nurses are fantastic people. And they look after you right up until you're dead. Thing is, once you're dead, there's only one person who can look after you. And that's Jesus. And if you've not been introduced to Jesus, then being dead is a really bad idea. I mean, seriously bad idea. Like, you need to know Jesus. And so, yeah, doctors and nurses, they, they are fantastic people. They can save lives. They can keep us long enough to meet Jesus. But you still need to meet Jesus. And, and that's the real heroes of the faith. Those who take the gospel. Those who would willingly risk their lives. There's another guy. I once saw him preach. Amazing saint. He was a Romanian pastor. His name was Richard Wormbrandt. Um, he had been in prison for a total of 14 years by the communist government of Romania. When I saw him, um, he couldn't even stand to preach because part of the torture he'd been receiving when he was in prison in Romania was they would beat the soles of his feet until they could see the bone. And so his feet were totally messed up. His shirt was me- his, like his, his whole body was messed up just from the beatings he'd received. He'd been in prison for 14 years. Three years of that was in solitary. And the cell he was in was three meters underground. There was no windows, no lights, and the guards had to wear felt shoes so he wouldn't hear noise. So he was in absolute isolation, no sounds, no human contact for three years. The only way he kept himself sane was every day he would write a preach... And every night he'd preach it to himself. And he would just work out the time and he would try and keep himself aware of time. And obviously he didn't have any materials, he just had to do it all from memory. And when he came out he actually remembered some of these preachers and he wrote down I think 150 of them and put them in a book. 
um, which you can still read once you know we start reading books again. Um, <laughs> ah, gotcha. Okay, so um, amazing guy. We saw this guy preaching. When eventually, so he was meant to be in jail for 25 years. Um, that was his sentence. But in the end, there was a group of guys in Sweden who paid a ransom for his life and got him out of that solitary confinement. And they said to him, please leave the country and do your work from outside the country so your life can be spared so you can carry on doing what you're doing. So he did that. He set up a mission um, called Voice of the Martyrs. And they would send missionaries into countries like Romania, like at that time the USSR, um, Soviet Union, taking the gospel to people. And I saw this man preach. I'm just going, Yo, am I even saved? You know, like when you hear those kind of stories... That's a man who was alive at the same time as me. But his experience of Christianity was so different to my experience of Christianity. Am I even saved? Do I really know what it means to give my life for Jesus? Does, do I really know what it means when we talk about dying to live? Do I think that dying to live is being mildly inconvenienced for Jesus? Or would 14 years in jail be okay? If that's what it took. Honestly, I don't know. I've not been asked to do that, and I haven't had received the grace for doing that. And I don't know how that works, that God would just come on you in those seasons. But we do know he promises it. Jesus said, you know, in those days, don't, when you stand before these people, don't worry what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit's going to be there. You're going to say the right thing. You think, but I, I haven't got the words. No, no, Jesus said, don't worry about the words until you need them. When you need them, you'll have them. And that was the promise that he gave us. Like I said, Andrew always says, whatever you're doing, if one person gets saved, it was worth it. And Josh Jenny is a planting church. We're constantly sending people out. And, um, and that's really good. 412 is a planting partnership of churches. And so it's not just about churches joining us that already exist, but it's also about people going out and planting churches. And that's really exciting. Um, but it does mean that people need to be ready to go. And it also means we need to be ready to let them go. Um, the, the first night that this congregation opened, it should be PM. Um, many of you I mean, weren't around at that time, but there's still a few faces I recognize from those first nights. We prayed out a couple. You say, well, that's weird. You literally it was your first night. You're like, yeah, but HVPM <laughs> was planted from Sunningdale congregation, and there was two communities that were sent to plant the church. And in one of those communities was a man called Adam Cox, and he was getting married to a lady in the City Bowl congregation, and they had accommodation that side, so he was going to move there. So the opening night of this congregation, we prayed out Adam and Ali Cox. And since then, he became an elder in City Bowl. They planted the Brooklyn congregation. He's now an elder in the Milneton congregation, like God used it. But not just that. Since then, we've seen a steady exit of people because we're a planting church. We're a planting church. We want to see people go. We don't ever want to batten down the hatches and keep everyone inside. That's not what we do. That's not who we are. That's not what Jesus asked us to be. He said, go into all the world. And so now we've got people all over the world who are serving in churches all over the world. There's a the Havengas. They, they were some of our first to disappear overseas. They're serving in the church in the UK. Robin and Gavin, um, they went to Amsterdam 
Uh, we got the opportunity to visit them a couple of years back. They were serving in the church plant there. They've been brought onto leadership since then. And it's amazing to see what God's doing. Our first deacon in this congregation was Sarah. And she ended up going to New Zealand. Before there was anything in New Zealand. But God lines up his pieces when he does it, you know. And now there's a church plant happened, and she's part of that church plant that's happening there. There's a 412 plant. How amazing is that? And then obviously quite recently, Glenn and Marilee um, have gone to Ireland, Ireland, and they were recently brought onto um, deacons there. And that's wonderful um, to see them growing there. And it's not without its challenges. Any of you have had contact with Glenn and Marilee, you'll know it's not without its challenges. It's, it's not that Jesus promises it'll be easy. It's that he promises he'll be with us. Now, if you think about this logically, if God is promising to be with you, do you think it's going to be easy? Why would he need to come if it was going to be easy? <laughs> like, just think about it. He says, behold, I'll be with you always until the end of the world. You know, so it's like, okay, so we need him right up to the end. <laughs> we need his companionship in the things he's calling us to do. And that's okay. It's okay that we're out of our depth. It's okay that we don't know how we're going to do this. It's okay that we don't know how we'll do without each other because we do have the promise that God is with us. And that's a very real thing. None of the guys I mentioned just now work full-time for the church, but they serve in the church, and their lives are making a distance. This isn't a difference. This isn't just something for pastors. You know, it's, it's something for everyone. It's for the saints. Um, Josh Jen wouldn't be the church it is today if Andrew and Emma had been concerned about staying in the same congregation as their friends. It's because of the willingness of the saints who planted Josh Jen to break apart and to go to new places. It's the willingness of people to move from place to place. It's the willingness of people to make themselves inconvenienced for the sake of others who need to be discipled. And this is what is, I want to bring that word up more. At the minute I'm talking about the going, but there's a two-part thing here. It's going and it's making disciples. And it's, it's about our lives counting so that someone else can be discipled. It's not just about... Um, preaching the gospel, although that's a part of discipleship, maybe an early part of discipleship, but it's also about making disciples. A couple of weeks' time, Andy and Cindy and Olivia and uh, Jordan are going to be heading off down under, although we're already technically kind of down under here, but um, I mean, like, that's, that's, you know, that's something. They're, They're leaving family, they're leaving blood family and church family. Like Abraham, they're going to a country they've never even been to. And they're doing it because God has shown them to do that. He's put it in front of them to do. Just like he did. Um, I was chatting to Andrew's dad the other week. And I was saying, in many ways, them going is far more significant than us going. Um, Because I work full-time for a church. If I didn't do this kind of thing, maybe I wouldn't be very good at my job. (laughs) You know what I mean? But, but these guys, that's something. That's, that's like, that's something. They don't need to go to Australia for an easy life. They've got a pretty good life here. They've got a nice life. They have electricity when the rest of us don't. Because Andrew got the solar on the roof. They've got a good life. They've got two cars. They had nice jobs until they got unemployed now because they've given their jobs up. You know, they had their own business. They were really going places. Got lovely daughters in good schools. Life was fine. And then God says... Go. And you go, well, wow, okay. I was talking to Andrew's dad. I said, when they get there, 
and they live the values of the New Testament, it means much more to the people on the ground than if I do. Like, I thought my job was going to be tricky, but now it's going to be a bit easier. Because me convincing people to do what the Bible says, they can always say, but that's, you're a pastor. It's easy for you to do. And when you've got saints who are going to line themselves up and say, actually, I'm going to demonstrate what it means to do the dying to live thing. What it means to sacrifice what I have here. Um, God says go, and you need to go. But there's going to be disciples made in Australia because they're willing to leave. And that's really important. And you had to go through the, um, the different sort of, class, what is it, the uh, examination so, to see if he could work for the Australian Health Council there. And when his first, he passed his first test, and he sends, we've got a group going, and he sends a message on the group, goes, what have we done with these big like, eyes? And honestly, my response was, you've joined the Hebrews 11 club. <laughs> That's what you've done. And Hebrews 11, verse 8 says, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And then verse 9 says, By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, that's his children, as with him of the same promise. That's an amazing thing. God uses you and then he uses your children. And so Olivia and, and Jordan are as a much a part of the going and they're much, as much a part of the making disciples. There's disciples who'll be made in Australia because of Olivia, because of Jordan. They'll make disciples. They're, they'll have a culture in them that comes from their parents, that comes from the, what their parents have been exposed to. This is an amazing thing and we cannot underestimate the importance of this. Each one of you is someone who could be making a disciple. Each one of you is someone who could be living a life that models something of Jesus to someone else. And then when you, they look at you, they go, Whoa, okay, that's different. I thought church was just about coming on a Sunday and hearing us preach and singing a song. And they, I know they want my money. Um, but I didn't realize it was my whole life. Yes, it's your whole life. It's the whole thing. It's everything. That thing of living in tents. When we first got married, Vanessa and I, um, God spoke to us about living in tents. We didn't really know the full magnitude of what that meant at the time. We just knew that when you live in a tent, you can get up and go anytime you need. And so that was kind of just a sense that we had. And so for us, living in England at that time, it was like, well, that probably means we should rent instead of buy. Because buying in England takes like forever. And we're like, we don't want to be weighed down by that. If God is positioning us to be able to move, and at that time I had no plans to leave. Like, I was born in England, I was born in Horsham. It's a town right near the airport. I can go to the whole world from that town. It's conveniently located, perfect for someone who's going to be sent to the nations. So why would I leave? And then God told us to leave. <laughs> and I've, I've told the story times lately so I'm not going to bore you with all the details but um, he gave me a verse asking me and I'll give you the nations as an inheritance and when we prayed into that 
ultimately, it led to God giving us the nations. He sent us here. 20 years later, he's sending us again. And so we're trusting that God will deliver us a visa in due course so that we can get out of here and get on with the work in hand. But not that we're not loving being here with you, of course, but we do want to go. Um, <laughs> you see, it's, it's an interesting thing. And, and, this, and this is not, please take this kindly. I know well, I've been talking to people and they say, any news? And I say, no, no, nothing yet. And they go, oh, good. We still have you a little longer. Yeah, you do. And I'm going to preach like this, and then you'll be praying for me to leave. <laughs> no, but seriously, if we're ascending church, if we're, if we're a people who are obeying the commission to go into the world, then maybe when someone gets a call to go into all the nations, we should just be praying that that happens as quick as it can so that the work of God can continue as soon as possible because there's disciples to be made and someone's got to make them. Jesus will save them, but they've still got to be made into disciples and that's our job. Jesus does the saving, we do the discipling and, and wherever God's called you to do that, you need to be there to do it, you know. And, and so for us, it's, it's really important. I mean, here, you know, we've, this was us in the nations, like I say, I wasn't born here. Vanessa wasn't born here. She was born in, in the middle of Australia. Not the middle, like the middle of the edge. Um, no one's in the middle. It's too hot. Um, and, um, and so being here as us being, we've been foreign. You know, like it was years of doing paperwork and visas and queuing at home affairs and queuing at VFS and uh, thousands of rands going into staying here. And then we just up and leave. So, you know, um, there it is. But... And that's not to complain. It's just to say that actually being somewhere, sometimes it's actually just a very normal thing. It's like normal life. There's a lot of practical things you've got to do. It's not, it's not the, like going to all the world and you have these images of like pith helmets and, and like nice car keys and excellent luggage and just, mm, we're going to go and reach people for the gospel. It's, it's not that. It's living in a house, it's having people in your space, it's, it's allowing people to come into your life so they can, um, I remember the first, so we'd been here a year and, um, and then we had to go back to England because my brother was getting married um, and we had to sort of tie up some loose ends and um, Nats and Bron and some of the girls, they put together a care package. There was basically a bribe to make sure we came back. <laughs> We were sorting through some stuff. We came across it again the other day. It was fantastic. Uh, it was like sort of photos cut out from magazines of like all the excellent things that South Africa has to offer. And like, this is why you need to make... Now, we were always going to come back, but it is a thing. Like, you've got to work double hard to make sure people realize you are invested. You're here. Like, you're, you're both feet in. I mean, one of the things... Uh, I've, I, I did mention it at Craig's wedding, but 19 days into being in the country, I ran into Craig for the first time um, at someone else's house. We were watching the rugby together, and the South Africans were getting a thrashing from Johnny Wilkerson and the English rugby team. It was the World Cup, and um, Craig, who at that time was less redeemed, and a... <laughs> It's rugby. I know, I know that's like the blood in your veins, but still. Anyway, 
By the end of the match, although England had won, I knew to live in this country, I needed to support the Springboks. So I did. You know why? Because rugby doesn't matter, folks. It doesn't matter. What matters is that I can make disciples. And if making disciples, if the cost of that is that I wear a Springbok jersey, I'll do it. So I bought a Springbok jersey. Because what matters is making disciples. And sometimes we can fall out of friendships even over sporting events. And you're like, if you can fall out of friends with family over sport, how are you going to make disciples? You've got to lay that stuff down. You've got to be able to give up those things. You've got to be able to let that stuff go so that you can make disciples. Making disciples is where it's at. For us, that was part of the thing. It's just having people in your home and, and it's just opening up um, to folks. And, and so, like I say, I, it, this isn't saying, oh, the cost, oh, the cost. Because it's, it's really, it's a joy-filled life. It is. It's an amazing thing. Mark 10 tells us another promise of Jesus. Jesus said, truly I say to you, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. Hey, and in the age to come eternal life. So yeah, queuing in home affairs might be persecution. But you do also receive houses and homes and and brothers and mothers. And our boys were born here. They grew up here. And they have aunties and uncles to spare. They had an Omar here in Edgemead, even though all our family lives overseas. And, And you can be that to other people. It doesn't have to be someone foreign. You know, church is family. And that's where we make disciples. If someone's in your home and they're like a junior person, they're your kid they're your nephew they're your like niece you know they're they're part of the family make that a reality for them that was made a reality for us that's part of the promise of Jesus that's what he does for those who go he gives those things but who does he give it through he gives it through the church and so we can be that to other people we can make it easy for them to do what they're doing in making disciples and that's an amazing thing we can do Steve recently um, shared me a verse, Philippians 3.20, which talks about how our citizenship is in heaven. And it really is true that even in this season of transition, it's like our boys have kind of just about adjusted to being South African. And now they're having to realize, well, maybe that's not the future for them. And we've kind of just gotten our head around living in Cape Town and what it means to be in... The, I mean, it took us 20 years, but, you know, it's a process. And then, and then God changes the goalposts. And that's okay, um, because our citizenship is in heaven. And so if we're fulfilling the Great Commission, if we're going into all the world, it doesn't matter where we're doing it. Um, if, like I said before, if I go all the way around the world... Uh, that's just a nice trip. But if I go even just to the end of my street and I made a disciple, well, my street is part of the world, isn't it? So then I've gone into the world and I made a disciple. And so it's possible that without leaving 
your street or your town or your school, college. It's possible without leaving your neighborhood, you could be making disciples and so doing what Jesus is talking about. It's not that everyone has to leave and go far, <laughs> but you do have to engage with people and make disciples. That's, that's the, the message of Jesus here. And so something like this, uh, Jonathan Conrath, is, it's an opportunity for us to do this. And it's the, it's the easiest possible version of this, okay, is just invite someone to a meeting. And I heard a great thing, Tony, we were in Woodstock the other week, and Tony said, if you don't have anyone that you think you could invite to a meeting, invite them for a meal. Once you've given them a nice meal, they owe you one, then invite them to the meeting <laughs> I thought Nisi there's wisdom that's, that's really good so you invite them for a meal then invite them to the meeting it's like okay cool um, but by all means win some you know like how, whatever it takes do that thing for some of us going into all the world may mean making disciples on the street where you live and that's great so I've been saying make disciples and um, I just want to land really practically what does it mean to make disciples um, and we heard it at the gathering already. First step is you have a finger, you switch on the kettle. So have people in your home. You may say, what can I teach them? You can teach them love. If that's all you know is how to love someone, then just love them. That is the greatest command, is love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. And so if the one thing you got from Jesus is that you should love people, then just do that. Demonstrate that. We can have people in our homes and love them and they will know that they are loved and that already is telling them something about God because God is love. And so that number one thing, do not underestimate the power of opening your front door. It is miraculous what happens when you let people through your front door. It's just it's remarkable. So many good things happen when you open up your home when you put on the kettle, it doesn't even have to be a spiritual thing, although those are obviously excellent things too. But just having a person in your space, particularly in the kind of neighborhoods many of us live in, where all the walls are getting higher and the barbed wires appearing and the electric fencing and the guard dog and the you know, press button for security response, this is the environment we're in. People don't expect you to open your door. People don't expect to see the inside of your house. Blow their mind. Have them over for dinner. That's what God has called us to do. In, in the New Testament, you know, Acts 2.42, um, the guys, they were in each other's homes sharing food with gladness of hearts, it says. And that's really something that we're called to do. Second thing is just three things. The second thing, encourage people to imitate your life in the way that you imitate Jesus' life. So make sure you're imitating Jesus before you do the second one. Um, but in, in whatever way, you, you need to find yourself, get into a place where you're bold enough to be able to say, copy me. And that verse we looked at in Philippians 3, just before we get there, um, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. And see, this is Paul who technically could just be saying imitate Jesus be like Jesus but that isn't what he says because these people he's writing to in Philippi hadn't seen Jesus and would never see Jesus in the flesh but they had seen Paul 
And so it's very practical. Discipleship is really practical. What he says is, brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine. Trust me, I am following Jesus. So just look at what I do. Look at how I live my life. Look at how I make decisions. Look at how I sacrifice. Look at how I love. Look at how I do these things. And, and look for other people like me who are doing that. So it's not about building followers. He doesn't say everyone must be like me. He says, be like me or people like me. It's a very open-handed thing. It's not that he's grasping or, or creating a, a fan club. Uh, subscribe and like for more of this content. Uh, he's not doing that. What he's doing is he's saying, be like me or be like someone who's like me. Someone who loves Jesus and is trying to model their life after him. Again, this is not hard because whatever you know about Jesus, as long as you're living that thing, you can say this thing. So if you know that Jesus loved the poor and you demonstrate that by loving the poor, then you can say, you know, when I do this, why don't you come with me? Or, you know, if, if you know that Jesus prayed for the sick, or when you go to pray for the sick, invite that person to come with you. Say, I don't know if it's going to work. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But we're going to pray for this sick person. And, um, and boom, they get healed. And you know what? Jesus is probably more likely to heal them if you take someone with you. Because he wants to show off. And he wants to get them excited for what he can do. And that's an amazing thing. Um, your decision-making, submitting your life to God, submitting your life to the Word of God. So you know, when you're having to make a decision and you're looking in the Bible to find the answer, you can say to them, look, I've got to make this decision. And I've been reading the Bible and I saw this verse. And they go, but it's about your job. Your job's not in the Bible. Like, No, but I felt like God was talking to me through the Bible. That's discipleship. You're showing that the Bible matters even when it's not a spiritual thing that we're talking about. You're using the Bible to steer your life. That's how we do that. So when we're talking to people, we're not just talking out of wisdom or out of our knowledge. We're using the Bible. We're, we're putting our lives under the authority of the Word of God. That's really important. Character stuff. Can you say your life is being changed to be more like Jesus? Obviously, none of us are perfect. If we were, poof, we'd be gone. Now, Enoch walked with God and was no more, <laughs> for the Lord took him. Why? Because he was decent, and there wasn't anyone else like him, and Jesus was like, I'll have that. Uh, <laughs> you know, and so Enoch, he was too good for this earth, you know? Um, so aim for that, but in the meantime, model the fruit of the Spirit to those around you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. And, and so as much as those things are present in your life, it's okay, like Paul did, to point it out. So when that person's being angry, you can say, hold on, hold on. Just look at me for a moment. I'm in the same situation as you, and I'm not being angry. I feel like I want to be angry, but I know Jesus doesn't want us to be angry. So you're not saying, I'm better than you. You're just saying, Jesus in me is working something that he needs to work in you too. That's discipleship. So that's all part of point number two. Uh, I told you there's only three points. Um, and the last one is just talk about Jesus and the commands that he gave. The first verse that we looked at, and um, it's Matthew 28, uh, 19 and 20. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And then he gives a recipe for making a disciple. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to observe all are commanded. If you know that Jesus said to do something, talk about that with people. 
That's making disciples. It's really, really not very complicated. It's just make sure they get saved, make sure they get baptized, and talk to them about the things that Jesus talked about. Whatever Jesus said to do, let's teach them to do it. Let's make sure we're doing it too. Let's open our homes, invite them in, love them, and see them do it. And whether you're doing that here, whether you're doing that in Adelaide, Australia, whether you're doing that in New Zealand or England or Amsterdam, whether, wherever God sends you or keeps you, have the faith to make disciples. Trust God that he would use you. And don't say, I don't know enough. If you know Jesus at all, that's enough. You can make disciples. And in this season where we're coming into a season where there's evangelism happening, Jonathan Conrath's going to be teaching us, equipping us. He's also going to be showing us and demonstrating to us how to do evangelism. We need to give our lives for that. And when we think about the heroes, not these weird film star dudes in capes who probably wouldn't survive in a real fight. What we're talking about is we're talking about people who give their life for the gospel. People who give their lives for Jesus. And so our commission is to obey Jesus and make disciples. That's, that's really it. And so tonight we have an opportunity to say, God, I want to do this. But it might also be that you aren't yet a disciple yourself. Maybe you're sat here and you're saying, actually, I don't really know Jesus. So you're talking about you know, telling other people about Jesus. I still don't feel like I know Jesus myself. And if that's true for you, I'd love to give you an opportunity just to Come to get to know him this evening. Maybe be a first time. Maybe you feel like you've been a, you didn't know him once, but you've gone away and you want to come back to him. And that would be wonderful as well. Maybe you've never really known Jesus, and so you wouldn't know the first thing to tell someone about him. Well, you can get to know him starting this evening, and that would be a great place to start. Like I said at the beginning, the most important decision you can ever make in your life is will you get to know Jesus? Will you allow him to be your Lord and your God? Without that, it doesn't matter what you achieve in this life. When you arrive at death's door, the only good outcome is those who know Jesus. The only good outcome is those who have lived their lives for him and given themselves for him. And so my encouragement to you this evening is make sure you know that you know Jesus. And position yourself to bring him to others. So I'd love us to just close our eyes um, so we can just create a moment here where we can respond. And like I say, if you're here this evening and you don't know Jesus, you say, I couldn't begin to disciple someone else because I don't know Jesus well enough. I'd love to pray with you this evening and set you on a course where you could be confident that you know him and that you can share him with other people. And so if that's you, if you say, I don't know Jesus, but I want to know him, I'd love you just to raise your hand where you're sat so I can pray with you. I've asked folks to close their eyes. I will ask a couple of leaders to keep an eye open just so we can identify who to pray with. But if that's you, I'd love to pray with you this evening. Is that you? You say, I want to know Jesus and I want to bring him to other people too. Is that you this evening? Is there anyone at all? I want to make sure that that offer stays open. <laughs> this is not very Mark. It's not a commercial. Um, 
But honestly, if you need to know Jesus, we want you to know that you can ask at any time. You speak to any of us who have been at the front this evening, and we, it would be our joy and our pleasure to introduce you to Jesus. It is the most important thing you can ever do is getting to know him. But for those of us who do know him then, I'd love to create an opportunity. It could be that you feel you didn't know this was what you were meant to be doing. I didn't realize it wasn't. I thought it was what pastors did. I thought that's what elders did, church leaders. didn't realize it was my job too. Yeah, for all of us, it's our job to make disciples. And so I'd love you 